0: Okay, so on this podcast, I'm joined by Emma from VT Sport and Rangers TV. Hi Emma, how are you doing?
1: Hi there, how
0: are you? I'm very, very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No, no problem. Uh, so first of all, Emma, how did you get involved in the media? Um, well, I've always been involved. I'm
1: very interested in sport, even coming through school, Um if I could have spent all of my time at school playing sport, I would have. <laughs> Unfortunately, that wasn't allowed, so I had to study as well. But, um, yeah, my plan was always to try and be a professional athlete. And if I didn't manage to do that, then I would do the second best thing that I'm good at, which is talking. So talking about sport seemed to be a natural way to go. And, uh, yeah, very, you know, fortunately for me, I've been able to to do that. Didn't, didn't manage to go down the professional athlete role, um, but um, here I am talking about sports. So yeah, it's just something that's always been part of my life, uh, and um, yeah, I managed to get involved in it from quite a young age.
0: So what is your favourite memories of, uh, of broadcasting so far?
1: Oh, that's a, a tricky question. I mean, there's been so many, really, uh, you know, I class myself as, as being very fortunate that been able to go to many sporting events that I would definitely have gone to as a fan if I hadn't been lucky enough to work at them. Um, I have to say, I think probably working at the Olympics. I used to love watching the Olympics as a kid, and I mean, it definitely is one of the reasons I'm such a big sport fan because I used to be so inspired by Team GB and all of the athletes um, who'd be out there competing. Dame Kelly Holmes, uh, you know, is, is such a standout memory for me as a youngster. So. Um, I would say working at my first Olympics, which was in Rio in in Brazil in 2016, was um, was unbelievable because you're working right in the middle of it. I was working for the host broadcaster, so you have a little bit more access than most people. Um, so that was a really fantastic memory for me going there. And Andy Murray was playing tennis for for Team GB right next to where I was working, and you know there was so many great memories there. Golf for the first time was included in the Olympics as well, so that. Um, I got to go to Pyeongchang for the Winter Olympics in 2018 and uh, that was absolutely fantastic. It, it was brilliant to go out there and Lindsay Vaughan, who's a, a skier from America, again somebody whose career I followed, she was out there and, and it was it ended up being her last Winter Olympics. So. Just being there to see these sort of moments in history that I would have 100% paid to have been to as a fan if I could have. Um, but I, I was lucky enough to be there for work. I would have to say that's, that's been a standout. And just to add on to that, watching Scotland at the Women's World Cup um, over in France was absolutely fantastic as well. As someone who grew up playing football and, and firsthand experienced how difficult it was to play football as a girl, um, to see our country playing at a major championships and these girls living out the dream that I think so many girls who have an interest or women who have an interest in football would have loved to have been able to do was a really special time as well. I was over there working, yeah, I was working for the host broadcaster, so I, was, I had a great job actually. My job was actually to follow and to, to live with Scotland um, for for FIFA and for the host broadcasting coverage, so I got to to basically follow them around for the the group games and interview them, interview the players and go to the games and uh, see really firsthand the training and everything that was going on. It, it was it was brilliant, and then sort of see the girls as well around the hotel, how they were you know spending their downtime. Um, and it was fantastic. It was really interesting because the first game of the group was obviously against England. And so we were in Nice. And England were also in Nice, obviously, just along the promenade on the front. And so you'd see the England players and there'd be Scotland and England fans everywhere. And, you know, the girls would be going down the street, the players, and, you know, people would be stopping them and recognising them. And I just think it was a really special time for, for women's football in Scotland. You know, seeing how far uh, we've come as a nation and and, and for the players to be recognised the way we're so accustomed to seeing the male players recognised now, so yeah, it was it was absolutely brilliant, and we got to spend a few weeks in France. It wasn't yeah. a hardship.
0: <laughs> On record attendance uh, because it was seventeen thousand to Jamaica.
1: That's right at Hamden before they went, which I think was a real example to perhaps some people who don't follow women's football so closely of just how big an impact. Scotland getting to the World Cup had actually made, you know, it, it, it allowed people to go and watch them before, you know, and send them on their way, knowing that the nation was behind them. And again, just such special memories, I think, for the players, for the fans, you know, the amount of, of parents who perhaps were able to take their kids along to watch that for the very first time. And, and having a crowd of that size in Hamden, and, and obviously the way Scotland played that day as well, it was a really special
0: performance yeah. too. Yeah, she's left Scotland mm-hmm. uh, do you think she, she could get into the men's game? At some oh, point?
1: 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I know Shelley well. You know, I've been lucky enough to spend some time in her company, you know, not least at, at the World Cup. And she's a fantastic coach. I don't think it can be underestimated, the job that Shelley did in charge of the national team. Don't get me wrong, a lot of good work had been done in the build-up to that. This has been something that's been developing, you know, over the years. And, and when Shelley went in there, there was a good basis um, but I think what Shelley, you know, did was take Scotland to the next level. You know, she qualified them for the first major tournament. And, you know, tactically, Shelley, you know, is very astute. You know, I've, have, I've worked with her on several occasions as a pundit, and the way she analyses the game as well is very enjoyable to listen to. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Shelley definitely could be looking at, at getting a job on the men's side of the game. We've started to see I mean, she obviously has in the past worked in the men's side yeah. of the game. Would not be alien for her to go back to that? Um, but I'm sure she would go back as a very different coach, having had that international experience, or you know, potentially even a role, a director of football role, or something that's not necessarily in the dugout, I think Shelley would be brilliantly suited for as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see what, what Shelley Kerr's next move is. The
0: season you joined, Rangers TV, how was that for you?
1: Uh, yeah, so obviously with no fans being in, a, a lot of the clubs have been able to... To produce their own content, and the fact that the the fans aren't allowed into the stadiums, they're buying season tickets, so the clubs, you know, are able to to provide them with the service of watching the matches. So, yeah, when Rangers came to me and asked me if I would be involved in it, you know, it's a fantastic opportunity. I've worked for the club in the past, that you know, I know I know what Rangers. Is about I know what the broadcasting side of things is about at the club as well so and, and a lot of the guys that are behind the scenes are, are still there from from when I was there in the past and I actually worked with some of them at different broadcasting outlets such as Satanta before yeah. Satanta went into administration some of the people who are behind the scenes at Rangers we worked together there on SPL TV as it was back then so I mean yeah. that's rolling back the years so yeah you know it's been such a strange year work has you know has been very inconsistent for for freelancers you know th- there's a lot of us out there and you know I think when you get offered the opportunity to to go and do something you know and, and working at the level of the Scottish Premiership as well which is a league that I think everybody who works on Scottish football is passionate about so yeah when the offer ca- came along it was you know obviously something really interesting and it has been such a laugh actually <laughs> that we've been doing it and I mean the biggest bonus for me as as people who follow me on social media will know is I am maternally cold so we yeah. have an indoor studio <laughs> so it means I now don't have to wear 15 jumpers and three thermal layers two coats several hats I'm able to just go in in my normal clothes which is, is quite
0: nice actually. So for Rangers fans is there anyone any new pundits that you're planning to get on?
1: Well I mean I don't for for the people who have watched Rangers TV this year I mean I think they will be very pleased with those that we've had on so far because we've obviously had Walter Smith on a couple of... I think he's actually now been on... I think it's three times he's been on now. And my goodness, I I think any football fan could listen to Walter Smith all day long because he has so much experience and so many stories to tell. And it's just such a knowledgeable lovely gentleman that, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure having Walter in the studio. We've also obviously had Graham Souness up for the Galatasaray game, given his contacts there. And um, well, with Alan Hutton as well, actually, who was brilliant. Alan, right. I was at Rangers when Alan Hutton played for Rangers. And I can tell you, he didn't used to like doing media interviews, but since he's retired and he, and he's come, come on to being a pundit, he's fantastic. We had him on BT Sport last season as well. Um, at Hamden, he came up. So yeah. For Alan the... Hutton, yeah. A big breakfast, he came yeah. up, and it was the, the cup final, I think, the Bedford Cup final. Yeah, it was for the yeah the, the, that was for
0: the six Hour special.
1: That that, what, we, we were at Hamden that day at about six o'clock in the morning. It oh, was such a long day, but I think our uh, I think the coverage really was an example of how dedicated you know we were about putting on a, a show for the fans.
0: So I just want to talk about B, uh, BT Sport. Obviously, BT Sport got a lot of recognition for the great coverage. How was that to work on for you?
1: Oh, it was amazing. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, I was working down at Sky Sports News in London, and I know you had Grant Phillips on uh, as a guest on a previous podcast, and um, Grant obviously got the offer to come up and be the exec producer for for BT Sport back in Scotland when they started their production team, and um, he he called me and asked if I'd like to be part of it. And again, it was for me, I was living in London at the time, so the opportunity to move back up to Scotland. um, And it was a no-brainer, really. Um, And, you know, just being part of a team that, it's a really close-knit team. And things have obviously changed slightly now because Sky have the the rights full-time, so BT don't obviously do any Scottish Premiership action. So the team in itself is not together as often anymore, uh, adding to that COVID and yeah, nobody sees anybody face to face anymore, do they? But it was a fantastic team to be part of, such a laugh. And I mean, I think you could tell on air that that yeah on and that we we had a laugh together. And the way we would cover stories was perhaps slightly different to the way other TV channels would do it. But there was always humour in there, and there was always, you know, genuinely the people who are on that show are fans of Scottish football, and so you're taking you're talking about something that actually you're interested in and you would want to watch. And that's what we tried to do was, was, you know, and it's, it's credit to the people at the top, you know, because there's, there's Grant Phillips, you know, Martin Keegan, the producer. And then there's the entire team behind that, you know, Amy, Robbo, Murray's there. We had Darren, there's Ailey. You know, there's so many people, you know, not even just, and then you've got the the production managers as well. There, People underestimate how many folk are needed to put on something like that. And, From start to finish, the way way we work together, you know, we used to travel together a lot at at the games um, and then, you know, obviously be there for for the matches. And then, you know, obviously in front of cameras, you've got Daryl, who's amazing at his job. He's he's, he's fantastic. And I think that comes across. And then the pundits themselves, you know, Stephen Craig and Chris Sutton, Ali McCoy. There's been so many over the years. You know, Gary McAllister started, you know, when, when BT first started covering Scottish football. You know, and then you've got the commentators, Rory Hamilton's there, you know, it's it's it was just such fun. It's, it's, it sounds quite corny, I suppose to say it was fun because it's a job, but I've worked in a lot of jobs that I've loved that I have never had the personal relationships behind the scenes. Yeah. And I feel, you know, on air or off air, we were always just ourselves. And I think that is what made it a bit special, you know, and just a little bit different, the humour. And, and I actually think, you know, provided what the pundits were saying wasn't too critical, that a lot of the clubs appreciated
0: that outlook as well. Yeah. So who would be the best managers that you've uh, uh, interviewed?
1: Oh, now you're talking. It's it's funny. I mean, <clears throat> when you do pitch-side reporting, it's, you're speaking to somebody in a very emotionally volatile state, depending on the result. You know, sometimes yeah. you get great interviews when somebody's particularly happy, sometimes you get great interviews when somebody's particularly angry or sad, you know, there's various ways of looking at it. And I I mean, everybody in their own right at the moment in Scottish football is a great interview subject. You know, like I say, sometimes they they can be short, sometimes they can be frustrated with the way a match has gone, but generally, you know, everybody's very respectful and everybody, I think, like I said, appreciates the job that you're trying to do. Uh, I mean, if I'm thinking about the best interviews, I lived out in Dubai for a while and, and, was very fortunate enough to cover a lot of major events over there and so through that that position we had access to a lot of people and you know we were able to interview people like Roger Federer Rory McIlroy Sonny Bill Williams you know from the rugby world and it, it, you know Brett Lee is a mass I've, I i love watching Brett Lee Australian cricketer growing up and yeah I, you know he came into my studio over in Dubai it, so there's people like that that when they say don't meet your heroes dame kelly holmes came in and i've just you know i mentioned her earlier on about providing me with a real childhood olympic memory and then there she was sitting across me and i got to ask her all these questions about it it's like little moments of that you think wow i love my job but you know day to day when you're dealing with people week in week out like in scottish football english football you know it can be hard i think we see it now managers are judged so quickly on results on the pitch and a lot of the times the results on the pitch and some of the performances of individuals on the pitch are completely out with the hands of managers. Yeah. So, you know, I think it would be really hard for me to pick a standout managerial interview. Um, but yeah, I'll just say that, you know, that everyone's great, really. Everyone has a bad day. Everybody has a good day. A bit like me. You know, I have good interviews and I have bad interviews.
0: <laughs> well, I just want to, to ask you, for you growing up, Who would be your football heroes?
1: Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, Again, my dad's English. So I was born in Newcastle and um, my family are all Newcastle fans, which doesn't explain why I'm an Arsenal fan. (laughs) But um, yeah, they're all Newcastle fans. And um, I remember from a very young age getting sort of Newcastle, Newcastle, Newcastle. And so... Again, I know he played for Tottenham, but I used to love Paul Gascoigne when he played for Tottenham. And then obviously he went over to Italy. And so Paul Gascoigne was one for sure. I just liked his craziness. (laughs) You know, I really loved how much of a maverick he was on the pitch. I really did. And then, you know, looking down at at some of the international players, you know, I I mean, I vividly remember people like um, Batistuta, you know, playing over in Serie A. I used to love that. Um, Pep Guardiola you know even looking at, at like the Barcelona teams yeah. Zinedine Zidane you know there's so many really that, that spring to mind Um even some random ones I was in a lift once in Dubai in a hotel and Marcelo Salas got in the lift <laughs> and I recognized so I was with another guy Chris McCarty who I worked with and I right, well we recognized him and he he seemed so so happy that we recognised him when he was posing for photographs. I was like, wow, that's Marcelo Salas. But I mean, I'm sure a lot of youngsters listening to this don't even know who Marcelo Salas is. But yeah, uh, yeah I used to, I mean, I'm trying to think, you know, now really with, with regards to, to Scottish football. I also loved when a lot of the players from down south came up here, you know, like of Terry Butcher. I feel like they brought a different a different element to the league. You know, Alex yeah. English played Aberdeen was such an impressive player like I say then Terry Butcher came up to Rangers absolutely brilliant and Claudio Kanija was always a player that I had admired from afar and then obviously he came over to play in Scottish football I couldn't believe it I actually couldn't believe it Um, and then obviously he moved to Rangers and I've actually got a signed pair of his shorts from a cup final uh, yeah so Claudio Kanija honestly for me was one of my absolute heroes and I was beyond thrilled when he decided to come and play over in Scotland. I mean, I I was very fortunate to to interview Cristiano Ronaldo a couple of years ago um, at the Champions League draw in Monaco. And it was unbelievable to get an insight into what his life is like. Because when you go to a Champions League draw, every host broadcaster has a little broadcasting area. So you have the, the sponsored backdrop and you have your microphone and you share your camera position, maybe with two or three other broadcasters from around the world. But there's maybe... 15 camera position set up so when the players come through they stop at various different ones and you get to speak to them and I remember the producer at the time coming to me saying I think we're going to get Cristiano Ronaldo and I was like what and he came, I could see him coming only because he was surrounded by about 60 people 60 grown adults swarming him trying to take selfies like so he was moving very very slowly along because of all the people around him And then he came in, and I was only allowed to ask him two questions. And I wasn't allowed to ask him anything other than Juventus questions. But it was an insight into what his crazy life must be like. You know? And, um, I mean, it's the age-old argument, isn't it? Who's better, Messi or Ronaldo? Um, I'm a huge Cristiano Ronaldo fan. Huge. So you're very lucky to have your your side top.
0: That's brilliant. Yeah. For you, um, do you feel Scottish football at the moment...
1: I think it's been a really tough year for, for Scottish football. Um, I think that there has been some decisions made over the the past year, you know, and I'm thinking actually primarily really at, at some of the clubs, you know, I mean, I'm looking at Partick Thistle just now who can't play because obviously they're down, you know, below the championship and, and therefore they're not able to play. You know, there was some other clubs, Falkirk, Hearts, I think there's a lot going on this year. It's very difficult to say where we're at because I I don't think until this the sort of COVID protocols and regulations um, are over, and I don't know if they'll ever be over fully because I think we're now seeing a new way of working, but we're fully yeah. going to be able to assess the, where where Scottish football is. I think it's really, really difficult for a lot of clubs. I think it's really difficult for a lot of players. I don't think anybody outside the 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 bubble of a club can really understand what players are going through. You know, they they have to perform, but they have to respect all the rules. You know, I'm sure at some point in time we all unknowingly broken a rule. You know, I think it's a really really tough time at the moment, and unfortunately, every everybody is calling out everybody else on something else. So, I think it's tough. I think you know, would I have said Scottish football was in a good place before? before March last year, then yeah, I think we were in a good place. I think there's always room for improvement. Um, You know, I think some of the governing procedures need to perhaps be looked at. And I think that has been highlighted for sure after the workings of the past 12 months. Um, But, you know, I I just think at the moment we need to stick together uh, as as a unit, as Scottish football, I mean, and try and get through this and reassess it. And hopefully you know, everybody can get through it. Because, you know, as I've mentioned, some clubs are falling on really tough times. Some players are falling on really tough times. And, you know, at the end of the day, football is is such a passion for so many of us. It's, it's, it's what we do in our spare time. I mean, I think if you cast your mind back, we well, what did we talk about when we didn't talk about football? Yeah, I, I mean, know. last March, I was literally like, what on earth do people
0: do who don't follow football?
1: <laughs> or don't follow live
0: sport? <laughs> it's so bizarre. I mean, I think the thing as well is, real, because you've got football every single week, it kind of takes your mind away from everything else.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I do think that's part of the reason that they've tried to keep professional football and professional sport going to to a certain degree. Because, you know, I also work on, on rugby, which, um, again, is very strange without fans. You know, Premier Sports do a brilliant job. They broadcast or try to broadcast as best as they can every Guinness Pro 14 match, which... You know, providing that service for a rugby fan is absolutely fantastic. You can literally sit in front of your television and watch every game of each round over the course of the weekend. You know, Friday yeah. through to Monday, which is brilliant. But again, you know, rugby as well is suffering too. So, you know, I think live sport is on because a lot of us are stuck in our houses, and you know, I feel very fortunate that I'm one of the few people. You know, along with a lot of you know my colleagues in the media that are able to go into stadiums and hopefully bring coverage and bring a little bit of relief to people who can't because, you know, this this situation is really rubbish for everybody, isn't it? And yeah. it, it's, you know, it, it's a global pandemic and, and it's had devastating effects on so many people within this country. And if, you know, sport is by no means... You know, life or death but it can bring a little bit of relief and perhaps a little bit of enjoyment or not enjoyment depending on the result and um, to people it at least provides a distraction you know in this period so hopefully we can keep keep broadcasting it and,
0: and keep it going I was just going to say how have you felt and uh, that there's been no supporters in, in stadiums mm.
1: it's it's really sad actually it's it's sad because it's it's a completely different experience. I mean, if you've ever been to a pre-season match, you know, in, in any sport yeah. or a closed doors, you know, a tennis match or anything like that, it's, it's just very, very strange. And to be in there, you know, with everything that is at stake up for grabs, you know, you're talking about league, league championships, you're talking about European places, you know, the, the, the stakes and the rewards are very, very great for, for the clubs. Um, and to be in there and and the fans who are the lifeblood of clubs you know they're what keep clubs going they're what passes on supporterships to the next generation they they are they are the life they are the foundation of any any sporting club for me and the fact they can't be there is is so sad and as i say the, the entire experience i mean it's not just players who get get a lift off the crowd. Even when we're there broadcasting, you get a lift off the crowd. You, you yeah. get absorbed in the atmosphere. You know, European nights are so different without a crowd. You know, Rangers and Celtic games are so different without a crowd. You know, you can hear everything that's going on in the pitch. Uh, what it has done, though, is actually given an insight into, into the way some players play the game because perhaps in the past you wouldn't think they were quite Uh, big shouters or or good communicators on the pitch yet you can hear them constantly you know you can also hear some of the tactical instructions from the bench which is quite interesting just what you wouldn't normally hear during a a, a game with fans but yeah I mean I just think for the sake of everybody we, we want fans to come back sooner rather than later but at the moment if it's the difference between live sport continuing you know and us having to bring it through the media then you know Hopefully, it's at least a happy medium that can keep everybody safe for the time being and get everyone back safely in due course.
0: So, Emma, have you got any new plans for, for 2021? Hopefully. We've got
1: a few a few things in the pipeline that are being uh, discussed at the moment. So, I mean, that's that's exciting. But I think the one thing I've learned in the past few months is just not to look too far ahead. I used to be quite obsessed by having plans and knowing exactly what was going to happen over... You know the next 12 months or so and I think that's also important when you're setting out your goals and what you hope to achieve you know you however big or small your goals are in life I think you know a lot of people like to to set targets and try and you know have little motivations to, to achieve things but yeah I mean there's a few things um yeah, I work with a sports management group called Concilium and um I work with them in two two different demographics so they represent me um as in my media Life, so they they help me with certain things and help me manage certain things. But also, I work as an associate with them, so I work as an associate with them, uh, looking after some of their women's football division. So obviously, we have some player contractors as us. I help I help them in an agency capacity, and then um, you know, also looking at new talent to perhaps bring to the bring to the sports group as well. But that's been something that's just evolved over the past twelve months, and I have to say, it's been it's been a really interesting. Um, change for me of being involved on that side of things. I've obviously worked with a lot of sports groups in the past, you know, from the media side of things, um, you know, and, and working with them and looking after players and the welfare of players and, you know, making sure, especially in this current climate, because as I say, there's so many demands and stresses going on in everyday life that, you know, I think it's important or as important now as ever to look after, you know, mental health and, and different things like that. So, you know, I'm looking at growing that side of, of what I'm doing with Concilium and, and being an associate there. And, and like I say, you know, women's football is such an exciting thing to be part of at the minute. And, you know, we've got some great players on our books at the moment, which which is fantastic to see them thriving and playing well and, and you know, doing their best. And, and hopefully we've played a small part in taking away some of the, the worries
0: away from the pitch for them. What is your favourite memories of golf?
1: Oh, that's an interesting one as well. Again, I'll go back to being a child and, I mean watch it it wasn't really that that um common to be able to watch women's golf on television but you know I grew up watching the likes of Nick Faldo and I would always root for the Brits you know whoever were, yeah. were playing in the in the major competitions you'd always be rooting for them Darren Clark and you know Lee Westwood earlier on in, in his career um and obviously now you know the UK it's such a huge huge presence on on both the the men's and ladies tours that um, I always loved the Ryder Cup, and then I remember yeah, going I on to... a work experience at the BBC, and it was Hazel Arvin that I was yeah. I was um,
0: nice.
1: experience with. Yeah, and I remember she was interviewing. Annika Sorenstam ahead of the Solheim Cup and at the time I didn't really know what the Solheim Cup was and then I realized it was a female version of the Ryder Cup and this was like a revelation in my life I was... and then Annika was on the front cover of a golf magazine which I, you know, I bought and so that really started it back in my mid-teens I would say and um, I started playing a little bit of golf at school and Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a very good golfer, personally. I I don't have the patience. And unfortunately, for a long time, I haven't had the time. I definitely don't have that excuse at the moment. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I love the Solheim Cup. I think the the team event of it really sits well with me because, you know, I'm so used to following team sports. Um, Golf is such an individual sport, and I absolutely marvel at the skill level in it because these these players with a golf club in their hands can do some absolutely phenomenal things and the mental side of it as well, of being out there on a course and, you know, it's you and your caddy having to figure this out and, you know, play well or when it's not going well to, to get round the course. And, you know, it, it's fantastic. I find it very inspiring actually golf. I think that, you know, what these professionals do is, is pretty awesome. And, you know, I'm very lucky that I do a golf podcast. I'm very lucky to, to be able to talk, Freely with with a lot of the players, particularly the the female players.
0: Who have you um, had, had on the podcast?
1: Emma? Oh, we've had well, so the the names that perhaps if you if you don't follow golf so closely that you might know we've had Laura Davis on, who yeah. obviously has been a leading figure in British golf for a for a long time, and she is a massive liver pro fan, and she is very 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 funny when, when you, you have her on the podcast and she doesn't mince her words at all she sort of tells you how it is <laughs> and uh, really interestingly she doesn't ever miss the liverpool game no matter where she is in the world even if she's been on like the golf course i know she's been trying to keep an eye on the score in the past she'll get up at three in the morning to watch her beloved liverpool oh, God. Um, so we've had we've had her on um, <laughs> in the most recent episode so i do the podcast with another golfer called beth allen she's actually from California originally but she lives in Edinburgh now and um, she still plays on tour obviously and we had Emily Pedersen on who finished last season on the Ladies European Tour in the most unbelievable form she won the last three tournaments in a row and won the the race to Costa del Sol which is like the the order of merit it's it's the tournament that takes place across the entire season so and she won that so she came on and she's been over and oh she lives in Denmark and she's, she's had to shovel snow to try and get to training. <laughs> like, oh. you know, we, we have a bit of frost over here and, um, and we worry about it. But So it was great to get an insight from her. And we had Kylie Henry, who's a Scottish golfer. Uh, she's married to Scott Henry, who's also a professional Scottish golfer. So we had Kylie on as well, just mm. to give us a little bit of an insight ahead of her, her new season. But yeah, we've had lots, lots of, uh, of players on. We've had uh, Becky Morgan, Florentina Parker, Flick Johnson, Sarah Kemp. I mean, yeah, the girls are great giving giving up their time to come on and chat with us. And, um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting, fun podcast to do because we don't take ourselves too seriously.
0: No. So you're a big after fan, Emma. Who would be your favourite your Arsenal players over the years?
1: Um... Let me see. Well, I touched on Newcastle earlier on, and I was at St. James's Park when Newcastle played Arsenal. And do you remember that really famous Dennis Bergkamp goal where he flicks the ball around the side? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns the defender inside out. Well, I was there for that. And I was in the Newcastle end as well, so I couldn't celebrate. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I loved Dennis Bergkamp. I thought he was incredible. Like that whole invincible era. You know, a Thierry Henry, for me, is a, is a huge, huge hero you know Ian Wright though if I'm sort of letting on my age coming you know letting on my age Ian Wright was always a real hero when I was growing up but yeah then they sort of handed over the baton didn't they and then you know Patrick Vieira Thierry Henry Robert Pires, like I say Dennis Bergkamp there I mean there was so many Arsenal players of that era that you could point out but you know they say never meet your heroes as well but again I managed to interview Thierry Henry a couple of times, and he's a great guy. You know, he's a super nice guy. Uh, Patrick Vieira, exactly the same. So, yeah, these guys have all, all lived up to expectations. Um, I, did actually, I did actually miss out as well when you asked me earlier about who was one of my football heroes growing up. I have to say Ali McCoys, because the next time I see him, if I don't say that, then, you know, for a fact, yeah, he's going to pick me up on it. He'll not
0: be happy. <laughs> he'll not be happy. Um, uh. So who would be Thierry right, Henry right now? How do you think they're getting on right
1: now? Who's that? Uh, Arsenal. Oh, Arsenal. Yeah, it's been a big period of transition, hasn't it? I mean, I think we saw with Manchester United when Sir Alex Ferguson left, it's so difficult to come in after a manager has been there for a a very prolonged period of time. And when Arsene Wenger left, it was always going to be a difficult, difficult uh, job to take over the reins of that because you know, he was the club for so long, and did he stay too long for me? Yes, just a couple of years, I think it might have been the time, but, you know, there's been, you know, a couple of managers, Unai Emery came in, and did a reasonable job, but again, under difficult conditions, I think, but, Mikel Ateta's come in, and, and, At the time when when the job was up for grabs and Everton was also up for grabs, obviously Carlo Ancelotti went to Everton. I think my preference would have been Carlo Ancelotti to go to Arsenal purely from the experience perspective of being at a big club and trying to make an immediate impact. But, you know, obviously Mikel played there as a player. He understands the club. He's had a a phenomenal grounding in the the, uh, coaching world working with Pep Pep Guardiola. So I can... Absolutely, see why his credentials were attractive to Arsenal. Um, it's been tough though, hasn't it? You know, they've yeah. obviously won the cup, cup last season, so I think that ended the the campaign on a high. Aubameyang signed on again, but you know, it, it just proves how difficult that that Premier League is.
0: Is it great for you having a Scottish player play for Arsenal?
1: Absolutely. I think a lot of the Arsenal's fans said to me because, again, Trish Johnson, that she's a, a golfer on the Ladies European Tour, she's a huge Arsenal fan. And she said to me, oh, what about this Kieran Tierney? And I said, just you wait. He's amazing. He's brilliant. Just you yeah. wait. Don't you worry about this. £25 million has been the best £25 million that Arsenal have spent in, in quite a long time. And obviously he had his injury problems. But, you know, my goodness, what a player he's turning out to be. I mean, we all saw it up here with Celtic. He's a fantastic player. We've seen it with Scotland as well. But going down there, getting over the injuries, a change in manager, you know, sort of locking down his place. And I think leading by example, you know, he, he's by no means one of the older player, oldest players in that team, but he is taking that team by the scruff of the neck and he's really injecting some of that winning mentality that he obviously learned when he was at Celtic to go in there and, and make an impact. He's scoring goals, he's setting goals up, he's tackling, he's brilliant. He's, I, I love it. And I, I'm so thrilled for him that it's worked out because, you know, it's it's a big decision to, to leave the, the safety, you know, of the team that you've grown up with in Scotland, and, and obviously the home city where your family are, and, and go down to the Premier League, and you know you're somewhere new, you're on your own. Add into that everything that's happened off the field in the past twelve months. So no, I think he's coped brilliantly, and it's it's amazing to see because you know he's a brilliant player, and I'm just very very happy that he's playing for Arsenal in the Premier League.
0: Yeah. So what do you think about Steven Gerrard? He's manager of the Rangers. How do you think that has been over the past three years?
1: I think Stephen's doing a fantastic job. Again, you know, I think if you look at where Rangers were at as a club when he took over, um, things were difficult. You know, it had been yeah. a long road back. Financially, things were tough. You know, off, off the field, there, there was still some situations that needed to be resolved in the business side of Rangers. But in the time that he's been there, obviously there's been some changes as well off the field with positions at the club. Um, you know, everything has moved in the right direction. And I think you're seeing now the performances on the pitch are, Perhaps indicative of the stability that is at the club offer, um and I think you know he's obviously got a great relationship did have with Dave King, he now does have with the other people around him in the hierarchy at the club, and you know they they very much trust him and I think you've seen it's been a very much evolving process as well. I think when you look at where the team were when he came in, he's grown as a manager, his experience as I think have shown he now handles himself with recruited um I think yeah, over the past sort of two and a half seasons at Rangers, that that Steven's done a fantastic job, you know, and and to come in with certainly no top flight managerial experience, you know, he's learned on the job and and he's matured as well. I think he's uh, a, a, he's still the same same person off the field when you speak to him, but I think his persona in the dugout, I, I would imagine, perhaps some of the way he works uh, off. Um, off the field as far as training practices etc are concerned may have evolved as well in this time and yeah I just think if you you ask any Rangers fan how he's doing I think the unanimous feeling would be that the Rangers fans are are very very happy and you know I think he's more than justified that he was the right appointment at the time
0: yeah so Rangers have done amazing in Europe as well
1: yeah, they have, haven't they? And uh, I've been lucky enough to to be working with BT Sport and and following them from that path. And again, I, I'll say what just I said about the league form. I think when you look at the first couple of campaigns, Rangers did unbelievably well to 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 get the results they did in Europe. And obviously, first of all, go from the first you know qualifying round into the group stage. You know, I think there's a little bit of inexperience, perhaps a little bit of nerves, that prevented them getting you know. Turning some draws into wins, you know they missed missed some opportunities to take the next step. That was rectified the following season, and I think getting to to play Bayer Leverkusen last season was a fantastic achievement for a Scottish team, um, given where Rangers had been and just the evolution of of how the squad performed. and And I think that ultimately, you know, Stephen obviously has a very good understanding of European football. I mean, he's he's won at the highest level there as a player, hasn't he? Uh, he's got a great coaching staff around him. He, he clearly prepares the teams well. And, yeah, Rangers in Europe have been fantastic. And, you know, I think even going into the group stage that they did this year in the Europa League, were they pot three, I think, in the draw? Yeah. And and to to take control of that group the way they did, you know, against some some very good European sides and and get out of the group once again, it's no longer a surprise for for Rangers to get out of the group. It's now more of an expectation, which, again, adds another dynamic, I guess, going forwards.
0: I mean, for me, I think Rangers can get to the quarterfinals of the European Euro- Euro this season. Yeah. Obviously putting no pressure on because they're playing Royal Antwerp in the, the last year to do. But I just feel Rangers have been, Benfic- Benfica, uh, Braga, so so many good teams. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think the way they've, they've gone about doing that as well is going away from home and still managing to get results. And this, you, you can see it in the players, you know, the they have a confidence that they can perform. I, I, just from having spoken to a lot of the players in interviews, they don't fear anybody anymore. They don't fear going anywhere anymore. Um, so, you know, that bodes well for Steven Gerrard, the fact that they do have that belief. And, yeah, I mean, who knows how far they'll go. They, they were they were very much beaten by a better side in Bayer-Labor-Cousen, but, but by last season, when they, when they eventually were eliminated from the competition, but Marley Everkusen just sold a Kai Havertz to, to Chelsea for a phenomenal transfer fee. So yeah. when you look at the resources of the teams that they're playing, but yeah, they're playing Royal Antwerp next and, you know, they certainly will not have anything to fear going there. I think it will be a, you know, a slight step up in, in competition, um, you know, from Standard Liège, who obviously also play in Belgium, but, you know, Sir and Steven Gerard are with Fury.
0: So I just want to talk to you about the time where BT Sport, they had a 6-7 special, um, the Celtic and Rangers, um, old fun game, how was that to be involved in?
1: Yeah, it was great fun. It was great fun. Yeah, I mean, again, it seems like a slightly uh, long build up, but, you know, we were all there and all thoroughly enjoyed it. We started off with like the breakfast show in our Winnebago in the car park, yeah. which was brilliant. We had Rio Ferdinand there, Chris Susson, you know, Alan Hutton, and I think it was Darren O'Day that came in to join us as well. Yeah, so, I watched yeah.
0: I watched
1: that, yeah? Yeah, you know, it was nice and warm because I remember that day was a really horrible Scottish day. It was windy, it was raining. Like I say, we were there so early in the morning that when we arrived, it was pitch dark. And so... I remember I was trying to to film the opener and Daryl and Chris were under an umbrella and I was under another umbrella somewhere else and the brollies were blowing inside out and you're thinking, oh man, it's like seven o'clock in the morning here, what are we doing?
0: A point where the game may have been called off.
1: I think there was definitely um, some questions asked, yeah, for sure, because there was so much water, so much rain, it was just again, though, it's it's just an average Scottish day for us in winter, isn't it? We're used to it, yeah. but obviously the safety concerns. But no, I mean that that build up was was such a fun to be involved in, and I don't know if we would ever do anything like that again. You know, like I say, we did the breakfast show, and then we crossed into the stadium, and then we had some other features recorded. You know, in depth interviews. There was so much hard work went into that. Um, you know the feedback we got from the fans w- was phenomenal. You know, so I don't think it went unnoticed. I think it was appreciated and enjoyed, oh, was which
0: is it? Was... it was amazing. It really was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's good to hear because that's at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do: make a bit of fun television and and allow everyone to enjoy it. But you know, there's a serious side as well because we still have to to do the job. But no, it was it was such good fun to be enjo- uh, involved in for sure. Yeah,
0: the, the Scotland men team call off for- fight for
1: the European Championships. How do you feel about that? Amazing, isn't it? I mean that yeah. <laughs> that yeah. game a couple of weeks ago or months ago now actually, I don't think I remember being that nervous on yeah, the day of do. a game for quite some time because as we all know with Scotland it's the hope that kills you, isn't it? It's yeah. like I don't feel we'd been that close for ages and um, yeah, like I don't work Uh, on on Scotland games for a broadcaster usually I I sometimes work at Hamden for the Scottish FA business club which is a hospitality suite so I'm used to being in in and around the atmosphere which is phenomenal and yeah so just getting to look at it from the perspective of a Scotland fan I was so nervous and then when when the equaliser I mean I've got my head in my hands right now talking about it When, when the equaliser went in I thought oh no This is exactly the type of killer blow that we don't recover very well from. And then, of course, to hang on and see it through and then see the celebrations. I mean, I was nearly in tears. I mean, I know Ryan Christie was in tears, bless him, but quite rightly so. I mean, these guys have achieved something quite magical. I mean, I remember when Scotland qualified for France in 1998. I hadn't long started working with Radio Clyde. And I remember my more experienced colleagues had gone out to France, obviously, to cover it. And I'm just thinking, wow like imagine one day going to follow the national team at a major championships as as my job <laughs> it's never happened since so yeah. going to France last year for or I keep saying last year because we're early to 2021 going to France in 2019 for the the Women's World Cup for me was a lifetime ambition because it was the first time since 98 Scotland had, had qualified so um yeah I'm so excited I just hope you know everything off the field and And COVID related allows it to happen and that you know it can all be safe and and enjoyable because you know not having the fans there as part of those games and not having the fans out there traveling you know was a real shame because you know for a fact we'd have made it (laughs) the party of all parties wouldn't we?
0: Do you think we can uh, do well?
1: Absolutely I don't see why not I think the team's playing with confidence I think Steve Clark has done a fantastic job and you know, qualifiers are nervy for the reasons I've just outlined because, you know, there's everything to lose if you don't make it. You know, Scotland have qualified. You know, we're playing some brilliant games. Um, what What is there to lose? You know, a lot of our players now play in, in foreign leagues. You know, they, they experience different types of football every week. So, yeah, I think, you know, Steve Clark will do a great job in, in preparing the players. I think that, you know, they're all... Pretty much across the board now, experienced in dealing with big games and that mentality. So I don't, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't go into every single game with confidence and thinking we can win it. And who doesn't love a Scotland England game?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I went to the last one where we managed to score the two free kicks.
1: Oh, what a game that was, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, really good. I'm amazing.
1: Uh, I watched that game in a Scot- Scottish bar in Madrid. And when those free kicks went in, literally everybody's drink was on the ceiling.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So the next thing I just wanted to ask you, um, what, do you you'll be able to go as a broadcaster to watch the, the Scotland games?
1: I don't know if I'll be working. Uh, as a broadcaster at those games because I'm going to Tokyo or I'm scheduled to go to Tokyo for the Olympics this coming summer. Oh, nice. Yeah, that is obviously was supposed to happen last year and it's now happening this year. But the way my role works for for the Olympics is I have to leave quite early in July. So obviously there's quite a big crossover there between the end of the Euros and um, the sort of time I'd have to be away. So I'm not sure yet if I'll be working at the, the Euros, but if I'm not working, I will have, well, I'll have my Scotland top one under my top, my, my work clothes anyway, if I'm working, but if not, I'll be there as a fan.
0: So obviously I know how the, the mix works in, in, in media. Are you able to explain how the media conferences and the, the, the mix works for people that are not involved in the, in, in the media? So
1: when the, the, the media conferences um, happen, obviously, they, they have the, um, the news conference with the player and the coach ahead of every game. And, yeah, it's basically, well, the old way of working used to be very much that you would all sit in an auditorium and, uh, you know, the player and the manager would be on the stage with a representative from either their club or their governing body and we'd all get to ask questions to them. And that now isn't the case because most of the media commitments are being carried out on Zoom which, um, you know, Zoom or some other type of software like that. So basically the coach comes on, you know, everybody gets an email, you click the link, and then you're sort of part of a virtual press conference. It's it's a very strange situation now, but it does allow us at least direct contact nonetheless during a period where we otherwise wouldn't have. And then again, the mix zone used to be that all the players would have to walk out of the stadium a certain way Past all of the media and it's up to the players themselves whether or not they want to to stop and talk so uh, if you have a personal relationship with somebody you generally had a little step ahead
0: <laughs> yeah who would be the, the angriest uh, manager or player they've, they've interviewed
1: oh the angriest that's an interesting question I once actually it wasn't an interview with me but I was down working and um Mr. Bielsa at Leeds wasn't yeah. very happy with something that had happened, and the person interviewing him was um, well, he obviously speaks through an interpreter, but from what I picked up from his tone, he wasn't very happy with, <laughs> with the way things had happened in the match. So I saw a rather heated exchange there, but it wasn't an interview directly with me. But I do remember thinking, oh,
0: that's, that's a bit fruity. Yeah. So, who, who would be your best friend within the media?
1: Oh my best friend within the media, that's interesting. I don't know if I could pick one. I've got lots of friends in the media that I, I spend time with when I'm not at work. That's another beauty of, of our job is that you know not only do we get to work together that we get to, to spend time away from it. But yeah, I mean, a few people behind the scenes you know across various different broadcasters that I'm really good friends with. L- um, Ann Brown, uh, Amy Thbbit, you know Ailey Barber as well. You know we all sort of work in similar things. Connie McLaughlin, uh, Corey and I used to actually work together um, and lived in Leeds. And so we were oh. two sort of little exiled Scots down living down there and working <laughs> together for a couple of years, which it was really nice to have somebody who spoke the same language as me because Yorkshire is a completely <laughs> different language. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it's it's funny, we've all evolved over time. I mean, Jane Dougal, who works for, for BBC now, again, yeah. her and I both started at Radio Clyde at the same time. Like, I mean, I'm she, talking now the late 90s she was on sky as well uh, that's right we both were at sky sports, sports news before. together yeah
0: yeah now, so and now she's doing is it itv rugby she was on before
1: i think she does bbc now down in salford uh, oh. jane works down there but yeah i mean so it's such a small industry that um yeah we, we spend a lot of time together on the road off the road um uh, and you know it's fantastic to see that you know everybody is is still doing so well and still you know being able to bring bring the 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 sport to to the general public because you know as i mentioned at the very top of this podcast every single person that i i work with in in Scottish football is massively passionate about scottish football and that is is a brilliant thing do you know what i mean it's it's really we're very lucky and it's hard work. It's a lot of hard work, but we, we'd never, ever take it for granted.
0: Yeah. So my final question, Emma, I just want to see what would be the favourite stadiums that you've been to? You're asking.
1: I'll tell you the stadium that I haven't been to that I really want to go to, the Bombonera. I really want to go to a Boca Juniors River Plate game. Yeah. That's my bucket list, right? So that's the one I haven't been to. My favourite stadium? Oh, that's a really interesting one. Um... I mean, the new Camp and and uh, Real yeah, I mean, Madrid, the, the camp- Bernabeu, I mean, when you uh, go in, the sheer size of them really, really takes me aback.
0: I want to go to the, is it for the end Calderon? Uh, oh, yeah. For we, the Calderon, that looks amazing. It looks incredible.
1: Yeah, my friend Wendy McEnroy lives in Madrid and she regularly goes to both. I don't tell the locals that she sort of flits between the two, but she goes to both games <laughs> and says it's an incredible stadium. Yeah, she said the atletico atmosphere is absolutely mad. I'd love to go to Borussia Dortmund actually as well while I'm on talking about stadiums I haven't been to. But um, as far as ones I have been, yeah, I think the sheer size of um, the Bernabeu and the new Camp is quite... Phenomenal, you know, and then Anfield, Old Trafford, you know, Ibrox, Celtic Park—all of these stadiums are steeped in history. You can feel it when you go in; it's a really special feeling, especially when it's empty. Actually,
0: yeah, and I just want to talk. Finally, talk about Celtic and Rangers and up, up, all the European nights. How are they?
1: Oh, the best
0: atmospheres ever. I mean, like,
1: I think being from this country and then, you know. You're obviously rooting for for the Scottish team to do well in these games that you sort of feel the atmosphere better. Like I say, you know, I've covered Barcelona games in Europe, etc. And the atmosphere is mind-blowing. But it's a step removed for me because, one, I'm not Spanish, you know, and two, I don't have any, you know, real connection with Spanish clubs, for example. It's impressive. But for me, the, the atmosphere you get at Ibrox and Celtic Park on a European night, I can totally see now why players want to come and play, you know, in that environment. If you're an opposing player and you come and play in one of those environments, you must just be like, wow.
0: <laughs> this yeah.
1: is unbelievable. And also how that atmosphere gets the most out of the players because I don't know how you can't have the hair standing up on the back of your neck. I yeah, don't know no, how yeah. it can't motivate you. I don't know how it can't give you that extra 5% to you know, chase the ball or something. It is. It's, and Unfortunately, we're missing it at the moment with the fans, but they will come back and my goodness, the first game back with a full stadium for, for all of these clubs is going to be absolutely fantastic.
0: Okay, Emma, I just want to say thank you for coming on and all the best at Rangers TV and good luck to Rangers and uh, good luck at BT Sport this season.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.